grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Now, I believe most of us at some point or other have done something similar. We examine the situation, the circumstances, we consider our options, we make a plan, we set our course, and if we're not thinking spiritually, well, we don't even ask the Lord's direction or His wisdom or His guidance or His provision. Today, we embark on a journey through the book of Ruth. Starting in chapter one, Pastor Sam tells us about a family that when tough times arrive, instead of trusting in God, they take matters into their own hands. Relying on their own understanding only makes matters worse. Ruth chapter one, title of our study, The Prodigal Family, or Lost in Moab. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Ruth, well, I would encourage you to read it throughout these next few days and weeks regularly. Familiarize yourself with it because, well, it is this beautiful story of love and redemption. And there are so many practical insights that, well, I hope to bring to your attention, but I'm absolutely convinced that in your private devotions with the Lord, opening up his word, praying, Lord, speak to me, teach me. Well, as you do that, you look into his word and his word will speak to you. You will see things that apply to your life, your circumstances, your situation. And you won't need a pastor or a preacher or well, the radio or a tape or a book. It'll just be you and the Bible and the Lord. And again, I'm convinced that's where the greatest insights come from. That's where the clearest communication possible occurs. Well, the prodigal family, it came to pass, we read in Ruth 1.1, in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the land of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife, was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilon, Epaphorites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now the time is given to us somewhere between 1375 BC and 1050 BC. That's, that's the time of the judges. And somewhere within that time, some say early on, others much later on, but sometime in that time, well, this guy decides that he's going to take his family and go to a place named Moab. Now, here's, well, the tragic beginning of a story that ends real well. Ruth chapter 1 begins and ends in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem, you should know, means the house of bread. Judah means praise. So this is where they're living. They're living in the house of bread and praise. And there's a famine in the land. That's the background. And we're immediately well, confronted with a bit of tragic irony because, well, this is that time. These are those days when every man did what was right in his own eyes. And this guy, well, Elimelech, he is certainly one of those men. His name, by the way, means my God is king or God is my king. Either one will do. They both mean and say the same thing. My God is king or God is my king. And here's the irony. 
He's living with his family in the house of bread. It's a spiritual picture, certainly. And it's the place where, well, because they're nourished by the Lord and meeting with the Lord, hearing from the Lord, there is this continual praise back towards the Lord. And then there's a famine. And because it's a time when men did what was right in their own eyes, this Elimelech, who claims that God was his king, well, he turns out to be one of those men. Instead of turning to and trusting in the Lord, instead of asking God, hey, what's up with the famine? And how am I going to feed my family? What do you have in mind, Lord? Lord, I humble myself. I pray for myself. I pray for my people. Instead of doing any of that, he tells the wife and kids, pack it up. We're headed to Moab. Now, Moab, it's a problem of a place. It was named after the first son of one of Lot's daughters, the tragic circumstances surrounding that after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's daughters thinking that everyone had been killed. Well, they get their dad drunk and one after another, they sleep with him, are impregnated by him, thus producing Moab, the Moabites, and then the Ammonites. Well, these guys are headed to a place where there is not only, well, physical problems, but, but spiritual problems. They're leaving a place because of lack of bread physically, but they're going to a place where there will be a lack of sustenance spiritually. Now, I believe most of us at some point or other have done something similar. We examine the situation, the circumstances, we consider our options, we make a plan, we set our course. And if we're not thinking spiritually, well, we don't even ask the Lord's direction or his wisdom or his guidance or his provision. I'm pretty sure this is why Jesus later tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, just in case. The solution isn't to pack up and move on. It's to turn to the Lord. Lord, you know our needs. You know what's going on. Now, his wife, Naomi, and her name means pleasant, and no doubt she was. Well, his wife and the two boys follow him to the land of Moab, where again, they escape a physical famine only to experience a more serious spiritual famine. Now, here's why this is so bad for them and how it applies to us. All their blessings were promised to them in the land of promise. God said, I'm gonna give you a land and I'm gonna give you food that you never planted or worked for. I'm, I'm gonna bless you with the latter and early and latter rains. He makes all these promises to them. They're conditional promises, yes. The condition that they worship him and not idols, that they serve him and, and not the gods of the land, but all their blessings were in the land. So to leave the land, well, that was to turn your back on the blessings of God. And yeah, I get it. There was a famine, but before the story ends, before the chapter ends, well, she'll be back in the land. The famine will be over. People will still be there. They will have survived it. And so this guy packs them all up. Now, I want to suggest there's an application for us because all our blessings are in Christ Jesus. That's what we're told in the book of Ephesians. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And he, of course, the bread of life. And I've noticed that, well, during those times where things seem a bit dry, 
a bit dusty. I get a bit discouraged. And just like Elimelech, well, just like him, I can find myself well, looking for satisfaction elsewhere, entertainment or, or sports or something else. What am I missing? I'm missing the bread of life. I'm missing the word of life. And I'm looking to satisfy that hunger and that need somewhere else with something else. The solution is always the same. For her, for them, it would be to return to the land of promise. And for us, it's to return to the Lord, to come back to the word, to get into the word and let the word get into us. Well, it's even worse than it appears because this famine is not a natural disaster. It's a supernatural, spiritual disaster. I'd like to suggest that while there are no doubt some natural disasters, when you read the scriptures, and especially as God's dealing with Israel, that just wasn't such a thing as a natural disaster because God was controlling everything around them. In fact, Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, God says to them, speaking to and then through Moses, it shall be, and this is Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, just a couple books back if you want to check it. It shall be if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. A little further into the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 28, verse 15, he says, it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and statutes, which I command you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. It's an ugly picture. Curses chasing you down. It's one I really wouldn't want to be well playing with or participating in. Now, it's, it's an ugly picture, and that's what he says. And among these curses, Deuteronomy 28, 23 says, And your heavens, which are your, over your head, shall be as bronze, and the earth underneath you shall be iron. And the Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now, it's always a mistake to try to solve a spiritual problem or supernatural problem by natural means. And what I mean by that is if I'm suffering, well, whatever the symptoms might be, and the root of the problem is spiritual, I can treat the symptoms, but I'll never really deal with the real issue that brought them on in the first place. You should know, and we made mention of it recently as we looked at David and considered some of the things he went through after his sin with Bathsheba, after murdering her husband to try to cover up his adultery, he began to have all sorts of physical and mental and emotional and psychological problems. He suffered greatly. And it wasn't until he finally confessed and asked God's forgiveness that, well, those issues were dealt with. Now, I'm not suggesting that all mental anguish or emotional problems or physical issues are spiritual in nature. I'm not saying that. 
Sometimes we hurt ourselves just because we're dumb. Sometimes we were physically, you know, ill because of things we ate or things we didn't eat. I was talking to a friend that went on the cruise and with us to Alaska and he said, hey, I got some good news and some bad news. And, and I said, yeah, well, what is it? And he said, well, the good news is I didn't gain a pound on the cruise. And I said, well, that's good news. What's the bad news? He goes, I was fat before I went. <laughs> well, my point is this. My point is this, is that if we're overeating, it's not the, the problem of, of some kind of satanic influence or spiritual problem. It's gluttony. It's physical. Now, I know that's not a problem for most of you, and, but that's why I pick it. Now, the bottom line, though, for us, if the problem is spiritual in nature, and that's what's going on here, you see, the problem's spiritual. They're worshiping idols. Every man's doing what's right in his own eyes. And so God sends a famine. Now they had the word. They knew the word. All they had to do was say, Lord, we get this. We see what's up. You're just trying to draw us back. It wasn't punitive punishment. This was a restorative discipline. God's goal is always the restoration of his people. So much so that he sent his son to die, not just for us, but for all men. So God loves the lost and he loves the prodigal. And well, in any case, this guy decides, well, I'll solve this by moving to another community. The problem, well, these guys were still out of fellowship with the Lord. Something was going to go right back there in the house of bread, though, because when we get to the end of the chapter, everybody's eating again. But it isn't going to go so well for, well, this prodigal family. 2 Chronicles 6.26, it's the better alternative. Let me read it to you. When the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against you and they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servant, your people Israel, that you may teach them in the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land. The prescription Pray, confess. So perhaps for some of us, we may be in a season of suffering and struggle and maybe it is just the circumstances. It's just the time in which we're living. It's just the trial that we're going through. We'll talk about that as we get into 1 Peter in our weekend studies beginning this weekend. But if like this family, you've just made some bad decisions and brought trouble on yourself, well, the alternative is to turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord and ask forgiveness from the Lord. Well, they get to Moab and we don't know how much time goes by, but we read in verse three that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons and they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth and they dwelt there about 10 years. Now, at this point, Ruth is widowed. Sometime after her two sons, Malon and Chilon, they marry pagan girls. Now, this is a problem, though God's going to well, show as he always does his resourcefulness and his togetherness. This is a problem because they had clear instruction to marry within the tribes, to keep the land and the inheritance within the people of God. Now, someone could come and become one of them, but they weren't to just go out and marry in and, and mix it up. 
So anyway, here we have these two guys. Dad's taken them to this pagan land. The only wives available, no doubt, were those pagan girls. So these two guys end up dying, verse 5. And so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So the grief at the loss of her husband now compounded by the grief of the loss of her sons. And she, verse 6, arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Over time, someone figured it out. Hey, this isn't natural. This is supernatural. Uh, let's get the word out and see what God says to do. So obviously there had been prayer, there had been repentance, there had been remorse, there'd been a turn from sin and to the Lord. So the house of bread is once again overflowing with bread. And she gets word all the way in Moab, things are good. Down in Bethlehem, she'd heard the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Now again, God's discipline comes in many forms, but never without a view toward our restoration. And I can only think that this, this famine had accomplished its intended purpose, turning God's people back to him, once again bringing his blessings. Something else, though, the blessings he promised them were still in the land. I made mention of it early, but I want to draw your attention again to it. It wasn't enough that the bread was once again flowing in the house of bread, in the house of bread and praise. She had to head home in order to participate. And that's why I've entitled this study, The Prodigal Family. You remember, no doubt, the study of the prodigal son, that story told by our Lord, where the guy wants his inheritance early and he goes and he squanders it and wastes it and he ends up starving and working in a pigsty. Not exactly the job a young Jewish boy is looking for, you see. Because, well, pigs, not kosher. They didn't eat them. They weren't to have contact with them. And he was so hungry, he would have eaten, we're told, the slop that he was feeding the pigs. And then he came to his senses. It's a three-part picture of repentance. He remembered, man, people are better off, servants, slaves are better off in my father's house than I am out here. Here I am, the heir, and I have nothing. They're back there enjoying everything. And that's how it will always be. The bread will always be in the house of the Lord. The bread will always come from the hand of the Lord. And so he comes to his senses. And then the second part of his repentance, he decides, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father, I'm not even worthy to be called his son. Just make me a hired servant. And that's what I'm going to do. It's a change of mind and a change of heart. But there's a third part still necessary. I draw this to your attention for this simple reason. It's possible to change your mind about your sin, to realize I've gotten myself in a mess. I don't like the way things are going. I don't like the way they're turning out. And it's possible to be so sick and tired of it that you decide you're going to do something about it. That's a change of mind. And then you can set your heart on the right direction and say, I know the course I need to take. I know the course I'm going to take. I'm going to take that course. Change of heart. But you can get two thirds of the way there and still stay in Moab, as it were. No, you got to take that third step. What's the third step? 
a change of action. He changes his mind. He has a change of heart. And now he actually goes home. That's what we're going to find Naomi doing as well. And that's what the Lord calls us to. When we've found ourselves out there away from him and we're suffering as a result, man, it's just come back to the house of bread. Come back to the bread of life. Come back to the Lord. Well, she went, we read, therefore, in verse 7, out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. Oh, by the way, first five verses, no mention of the Lord at all. Verse six, she hears the Lord had visited his people. And then here in verse eight, she says to well, her daughters-in-law, the Lord deal kindly with you as you've been kind to me, to, to, to my now deceased husband and my boys. The Lord grant that you find rest in the house of her husband. What's she trying to do? Send them home back to their families where there's some hope. They no doubt still being somewhat young. Only 10 years have gone by from the beginning of all of this. Well, her prayer is that they would remarry and experience all they're missing as a result of their husband's death. Now, Naomi is getting up there in years and we know that from the things that we're about to read. And, and so it makes sense, at least at this point, she's saying, hey, go home. Start over, find a good husband, raise a family, be blessed. But they said to her, verse 10, surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? It's an important question. In essence, she's saying, listen, I'm going home with nothing and I'm going home to nothing. Why would you want to come with me? I'm destitute. I'm impoverished. Why? It's a very important question because, well, I don't know if one brought it up and the other chimed in or if both together they sort of did a duet, you know, hey, we're going with you. But I know from reading the lives of the disciples that oftentimes, well, someone like Peter would say something silly or stupid and, and all the disciples would chime in. Yeah, we're there. We're with you. We're going too. And it's possible that that's going on here because, well, one of these gals is going to count the cost and she's going to turn back. The other is going to count the cost and she's going to commit to be, well, we'll read it. And, and it's amazing and wonderful and a beautiful picture of the beginning of her redemption. Turn back, verse 12, my daughters. Oh, no, after she says there in, in, in verse 11, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Now, if that seems strange to you, let me explain why she even says it. There was a law. It's going to be in effect later in the book itself. But there was a law in Israel that if a man died and he had no offspring, his brother was supposed to, well, marry the widow raise a son, name him after his deceased brother. The land would stay in the family. The brother's name would continue. 
It's the law, the kinsman redeemer. It will be a major part of this book. 21 times, 21 times, there'll be reference to the Goel or the kinsman redeemer. But here's what's going on at this point. She's just saying, look at, do I have kids still coming? And, and even if I did, even if I did, if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? She's saying, look, what if I go back and get married and I have a child? You're going to wait for that kid to grow up and marry you? Nah, would you restrain yourself from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi, finally realizing she never should have left the land of bread and praise, tries to convince her daughters-in-law to stay behind. But wouldn't they be better under his wings as well? Let's find out what they choose as we stay tuned till next time as Pastor Sam finishes our study in Ruth chapter 1. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you soon. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.